you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Would you stand with me tonight? Now, I know we've worshipped, and Brother and Sister Anderson have worshipped with us, but this, ladies and gentlemen, is an important part of the service, and that is the bringing of the bread of life, the Word of God. Amen. We, we love Brother and Sister Anderson so much. We've known them now for, I was corrected at lunch today, uh, I mentioned this morning 15 years, but I guess we, it's been 15 years since we worked together. We worked together about four years, and so I guess we've been connected now for almost 20 years. I know he doesn't look old enough for that, um, but it is true. It is true. We have been working together for a long time, and he has served as our district youth president. He has served as a pastor uh, for several years, and uh, youth pastor for several years and now on the field as a full-time evangelist. We love and appreciate Brother and Sister Anderson, their family so very much. I want to step aside, let him bring the word of the Lord tonight. Would you make them feel very, very welcome as it comes? Take your liberty and preach your heart. Come on, let's just do that to the Lord. I'm not trying to dictate your praise, but you know we're coming to the end of another year. How many God has been good to this year? I wish you'd close your eyes, lift your hands, and praise God for His goodness to you. Come on, I wish you'd thank Him. Come on, that's it. God, you've been good. God, you've been good. I reflect on your goodness, God. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your power. I praise you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. What a delight and honor. I won't keep you standing too long, but it is my privilege, really, to be here. And I am so excited to be with you in this beautiful sanctuary, in this beautiful place that God, how many know God has provided you with a wonderful place? We give Him all the glory. And your willingness, your willingness to be a part of that here in Frankfurt. I know you've worked hard. You've been on the team, and I'm not here to act like I know anything because I don't know any of the time and the stress and the hours and the willingness that you've put in. But I tell you, there's a lighthouse here because you have stepped in with God and said, we're going to build a church, and not just the edif- 
building, but the place that God has given you of revival in your city. I believe God has a place of revival. I love your pastor, his wife. I love all their boys. Been around them most of my life. And uh, crazy as those boys are, I love them. No, those are some incredible boys. And I was youth secretary and youth president while they were all coming up. And so I'm thankful I got a chance to be around them and watch God use them so powerfully. Thankful for this wonderful family, your pastor and his wife. I would say this, I've never experienced anything but kindness, and kindness I didn't deserve from them. They have been so kind to me, my wife, and to my children in every opportunity. I love them. They've been so kind. That's all right. I love Brother and Sister Jordan. I just kind of have something that exudes from them in that way. And you pick it up when you're around them, and you want to characterize that and bring it down in your own life. I love Brother and Sister just give me a moment, uh, if you will. I love Brother and Sister Lytle they, and their children, and they have been a... <clears throat> when I was... We were on the youth team together, and we served together all these years, and we kind of were the comrades of our generation. Brother, Brother Jordan was so much older than us that we were... Right, Brother? He was just so much older than us. And uh, so we had great memories and talented hard-working people, my Lord, just incredibly talented, and then using their talents for the glory of God. We love them. They're my friends. I mean, who wouldn't be, who wouldn't be jealous of Danny? He's skinny, can play the drums, can play the, can sing, can preach, can do anything he wants. That's just, but I love him anyways, but we'll just get that out there that the Lord has helped me. And so many friends in this congregation, another couple that came on when I was youth committee was the newcomers. And uh, they came on as I was going out. I had about a year or so with them, maybe a little bit longer. And I love their spirit. And I appreciate them. So I would be, you just forgive me if I've taken these moments. I would be remiss if I didn't comment on even getting to experience wonderful years with them and these great families. And so many friends we look around. And I love you and appreciate you. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm glad to have my family with me. And uh, we are in a different time in our life. And so sometimes they're home and sometimes they're with me. And today they're with me. So I'm a happy preacher. I'm not going to yell at you or scream at you. You're lucky. They're with me. They hadn't been. I might have been miserable and told you all off. I mean, just let you have it. But I love them, my precious daughter, my son. They're just, they're just everything to me. And my gorgeous wife, who means the world to me. And we've traveled now twice as evangelizing. And we're doing it again. And God's blessing us. So we're thankful. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18. I'm going to try not to preach too long. I felt confirmation of the Holy Ghost of what he's already done here tonight. And that I would preach this little thought to you. And then we'll go home with it. And I hope it's something you can take home. And live on for just a little while. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. God's been good to me. Oh, God's been good to me. And also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise and build. He was talking to them about rebuilding the walls and Jerusalem. And so he had convinced them. We're coming to the end of the portion where Nehemiah has convinced the people by faith. And they said, let us rise up and build. The Bible says, so they strengthened their hands for this good work. Somebody say, good work. 
you're doing a good work. If you're praying for your family, you're doing a good work. If you're fighting for revival, you're doing a good work. If you're believing that you're going to press on and see God do miracles in this city, in every situation, you're doing a good work. If you're standing in the gap when there's a lot of others who should be, but you're standing in the gap for needs, you're doing a good work. If you're building the spiritual habitation in a world that is not trying to uplift you spiritually and you're trying to make a place for your family to serve God, you're doing a good work. All right? You believe that? We're doing a good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn that we were doing a good work. And despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? We're doing a good work. Wouldn't God, wouldn't it be just better if God shut the mouth of the enemies? But he doesn't. In that way, he lets them talk for a while. While you're trying to do a good work, the enemy is talking. He's got a voice. Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven... He will prosper us. We're doing a good work. Therefore, his servants, we will arise and build. We will do this good work. But ye have, now here's what I want to preach. Ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. You have no right. You have no memorial. And the third word he uses there is portion. And he uses it first, of course. That's the one I'm going to emphasize, meaning inheritance. You have no inheritance here. God has given us our inheritance in righteousness and in strength and in salvation. That's what God has promised to us. So we need to look at the enemy and tell him, you have no right to be here. You have no memorial here. And you have no portion here. By the help of the Lord, let's, let's look together at the word of the Lord and say it this way. The portion or the inheritance that belongs only to faith. Doesn't belong to anything else. This is our portion. This is our inheritance. And I believe, I want to say this from the onset of this service. I really feel like there is faith in this building. You've been building a building. You've been reaching out. There's faith here. And I just want to encourage you and say along with you, there are some things that belong only to faith. They don't belong to anything else. We're not going to work it out in any other way but by faith. Lift your hands. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, that's it. Go ahead. Lord, remove anything in my life that needs to be removed tonight. By the power of the Holy Ghost, do a work in this place. And let us leave here, God, with the strength and the power of your Spirit echoing through our hearts. We'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. We'll honor you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I do not relate to this couple, but I illustrate their story just to begin my sermon for the portion of time that I will allot to them. I want to say this. I don't really understand their lifestyle, but it records that this young couple from, I believe it was Sweden or somewhere like that. Yes, a Swedish couple. They survived a honeymoon. 
Now, the first place I don't relate to them is it was a four-month honeymoon. I've never been on a four-month honeymoon. And God blessed them that they could take a four-month honeymoon. I'm happy for them. How many are happy for them? <laughs> but on this honeymoon, they survived six natural disasters. Nobody begins a good work, a family relationship, expecting to, to go through things. I mean, honestly, I think if we all look back, we now look at life differently. How many thought when you were young you just would step into glorious thing after glorious thing? Relationships and love and children. And, and children would just, diapers would change themselves or something. I don't know. We just didn't think it all out. We just didn't realize the sleepless nights and the bills and so they started their honeymoon, and uh, most people imagine a honeymoon's relaxing on a beach, but they were, the calamities weren't their plans. They worked out uh, just that way. The problem started in Munich, Germany, where they were stranded by a huge snowstorm. They traveled to Australia, anticipating a beautiful southern hemisphere summer. Instead, they were faced with a cyclone. In uh, in uh, another place, Brisbane, it was floods and bushfires in Perth. The cyclone was, uh, was such a close call that we escaped by the skin of our teeth. They were forced to evacuate their hotel and spend more than a day inside a shopping center with 25 others. They were en route to New Zealand, uh, New Zealand and the country was hit with a 6.3 magnitude earthquake. Finally, they finished up their honeymoon in Tokyo, Japan and watched buildings fall before their eyes when the country was struck by an even larger earthquake. And although it wasn't exactly the peaceful vacation they hoped for, they eventually came unscathed through all those six natural disasters and got home. And the man said, I know marriages have to endure some trials, but I think we've been most, through most of them in the first few months and just in our honeymoon." Now, we know the truth, but now they come home, and life is a trial and a challenge. They're going to face storms. They're going to face tests. But they've begun a good work, if you'll just let me elaborate on their story for a moment. They've begun a good work, and it's not the end of the nights that will be restless and the nights that will be tiresome. And I want to say to you and I tonight, Many of us, and most of us, some that are younger here, are beginning, but we have begun a good work, and we have are starting or are living in good works. And in fact, you and I know that we're facing new good works, as it were, even this year, going into this year. We're wanting to see God do some miracles that we're standing in the gap for. Could I get an amen? And I've come to tell you, as you know, that without faith, there are some things that these good works will not attain us to. That you and I must remind ourselves, and let me just get through some of the basics, is this. That without faith, it is impossible to do a good work and to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to receive our forgiveness of our sins from the very beginning. Without faith, it's impossible to have our sins washed away. But we must have faith, go to the waters of baptism, and by faith and the name of Jesus Christ, we know that it is possible for our sins to be remitted from our life. By faith, we can say, I believe that the Spirit of God that raised up Jesus from the dead 
wants to dwell within me and I can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But without faith, it is impossible to please God at all. For he that cometh to God must start every good work with believing that God is and that he is a rewarder of somebody who's made up in their mind one more time, I'm standing up to do a work for God, and by faith he will reward. God is, God is, is not a tolerant God. I want to tell you that. He's not a tolerant God. Before I preach to you about all the miracles God will do, you and I must agree again, just one more time, refresh ourselves. God is not just a tolerant God. He says, without faith, I'm not tolerant to do the miracles, but with faith, I'm a blessing God. One of the areas that must come under the sword of every believer over and over again is this area of unbelief. It has to be shattered every once in a while. It has to be pushed back over and over again. And we have to say that there are some things and understand that there are some things that belong only to faith. James said it this way, a man may say, thou hast faith, I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. There are some things that God is intolerant of. Faith and obedience must be displayed in your life. you got to lift your hands when it's time to lift your hands. you got to repent when it's time to repent. you got to cast out every unbelief when it's time to cast it out. you got to stand and praise God when you don't understand why you're praising. God. you got to say in everything I will give thanks for God is intolerant of my complaining. But if I will thank him, I'm going to do a good work and God is a rewarder of them. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe. But wilt thou know, man, that faith without works is dead. God is intolerant of our un, un, uh, obedience. He desires our obedience. Abraham is quoted in a way that said, by faith in Hebrews 11:8, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive a portion or an inheritance. The Bible says after he should receive an inheritance, the Bible says he obeyed. God is intolerant of uh, disobedience. And he went out and he didn't know where he was going. And Hebrews goes on to tell us that truly, if he had been mindful of that country from whence they came out of, they might have had opportunity to go back. They might have had a chance to go back, and God would have stopped at that moment and said, I am intolerant of your disobedience. I, I will not allow it, Abraham. And, and, and we would have not known the story, but Abraham found out through God that there is an inheritance that only belongs to faith. So he didn't know where he was going, but he obeyed, and he walked with God. And he was a blessing not only to his family, but the Bible says we stand here being blessed of him, all nations, because there are some things that only belong to faith. And so everywhere Abraham went in faith, we stand here saying, that's it, Abraham. Come on, Abraham. We're with you. We believe that God is going to give us something. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how it's going to come to pass. Man has a tolerance that Christ came not. Man is tolerant of your complaining. Man is tolerant of our disobedience sometimes and excuses us. But God is not tolerant of unbelief. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, must. Jesus, he came 
Let me just give you two scriptures why we got to understand some things about God. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the God I want to serve. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're going to do a good work and being saved, God came for that. Move over to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. And the Bible says, think that I have come not to send peace on earth. Whoa, whoa, let's go back to the other one where he says I've come to seek and save the lost. Now he says, oh, don't think that I'm come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. Okay, i got two contradicting scriptures here. I came to seek and to save that which lost, and you came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. And it's a simple principle that God was saying, I came to save, but I didn't come the way you think I came. Let me give it to you this way. God did not come to bring peace to our sinful lives. He said, I come with a sword. He said, I come to let you know that you can be saved. But when I come, I come with the dividing word to let you know if you're going to be saved. I came with peace. I came, or not with peace, I came to bring discont- uh, something. I came to bring it out of you, what is in you, that doesn't need to be in you. And faith, hear me. Now, I'm going to bring it home in just a moment. Faith is one of those things that God came to bring a sword to your life. He said, I, I come to save you, but I also came with the sword. I can illustrate it this best way. I have sat in rooms where the doctor walked in and said, I've come to save your life. And in the next moment, he said, but I didn't come to bring peace. You got a cancer in your body. Hear me, somebody. You don't want a doctor that says, I came to love you and to seek and to save you, but I didn't bring a sword. But I like the doctor that says, I love you, I came to seek and save, but I also am going to take a little scalpel to your life. And when I get in that room, I'm not going to bring peace to your body. I'm fixing to light your body up. But when I get done, there's going to be a salvation that comes out of it. Hear me, somebody. God didn't come to leave you in your unbelief. God didn't come to leave you in your doubt. But God came with a sword to say there's some things that I want to do, but faith. Hold on. Jesus comes into the ruler of the synagogue. Then they told him his daughter was dead in Luke chapter 8. And he said, weep not, for your daughter is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. And Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace to this situation. I want to save her. I want to heal her. But I did not come to bring peace to this situation. So the Bible says he took the sword and he said, get out, get out, get out. He's a doctor to save, but he's come with a sword of righteousness. And he said, once they're out, arise. Eyes maiden, come up. I've come to tell you, there are some things that only belong to faith. And you and I have got to make up one more time in our mind. There's just some things that don't belong in the church in Frankfurt. There's just some things that don't belong in our walk with God. And God, if you had to remove it, I pray you'd remove it this year because I'm looking for an inheritance. I'm looking for a revival. I'm looking for a family to come through. I'm looking for some salvation. And God, don't bring peace to my life. Bring a sword. That 
doctor gets done with that consultation. He says, now I want to heal you and I want to save you. I I was trained to do this, but I I really don't like bringing a sword to people's lives. So you may have to just, we'll just try some other things. I'll say, see you later, buddy. I don't like a sword either. I have no desire to go under that surgical knife. But I understand that peace is not what I need right now. Comfort of my own soul and my own wants and my own pity partner is not what I need right now. I need a God with a sword. I need somebody that's going to say, there's some things that don't belong here. But if you can walk in faith, there's a portion. So we come to the book of Nehemiah. And I'm going to just key on two of the four verses that I believe jump out to me in Scripture. And here's the first one. Nehemiah in chapter 2 looks at him and says, you don't have a right to be here. You don't have a portion. This doesn't belong to you. You need to look at the enemy and say, God's got something for my family. An enemy, you don't have a right to be here. And the first voice that rises up was the voice of unbelief in Nehemiah chapter 4 and says this. And he spake before his brethren, verse number 2, and said, what do these feeble Jews? Oh, oh, oh I like it when they make fun of us because we, we don't have a lot and we're just walking by the grace of God. We don't have all the tools of this world. We didn't got all the money. Sometimes we're just trying to figure out how God's going to pay, uh, take us to pay the next bill. And we're going to, he said, how are these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves and will they sacrifice and which they make an end in a day? Are they going to get this? Are they going to remove the stones of the heap of the rubbish? And they just start telling you in unbelief everything that's wrong with your situation. Everything that's not going to go right in your situation. And that unbelief starts rising his voice. And in verse number four, the Bible says that the Nehemiah said, Hear, O God, for we are despised by this world. Not only have we come to a point we need you and we need this inheritance, but we're despised by this world. And turn their reproach upon their head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And Nehemiah had already said it, but he was saying it again. There is no right and no portion and no inheritance for a voice of unbelief. So God, turn them away. Turn that voice away. Let it be defeated, God. And I've come to preach to somebody. There are only things that belong to a faith. So you and I got to make up in our mind, there's some things that don't belong in our walk with God. And unbelief is something that doesn't belong. And when that voice starts to rise up, we're going to have to get up Monday morning and Tuesday morning and say, I thank God for church on Sunday. I thank God for everything that God's been doing. But enemy, if you think you're going to raise up and tell me not to believe on Monday, you got another thing coming. You have no right to be here. You have no portion here. You don't have a memorial here. So in the name of Jesus, I command you, get thee behind me, Satan. There was a voice of the flesh. I may just go through all four real quickly. There's a voice of the flesh. And this voice is the enemy that of our soul, not only the enemy of our soul, but the, our flesh. And it is a conspiring thing. And they conspired in verse 8 to come and to fight against Jerusalem. The Bible says your flesh is the enemy of God. I want you to hear me real quick. Your flesh with its wants and desires will conspire to fight against the Spirit. It's already listed in Scripture. So when you desire to see God do something, don't worry. Your flesh is going to rise up and the voice 
voice of the flesh is going to fight and conspire, but I don't want to go through all that. But I don't want to stay faithful. And I want to tell you, you need to look at it and say there are some things that belong only to faith. They don't belong to unbelief, and they don't belong to my flesh. So I'm going to pray today. I'm going to get in the spirit today. I'm going to consecrate myself to the work of God today because there are some things that don't belong to my life. Then the enemy comes along in Nehemiah chapter number 6 and says, all right, you got a plan. And they wanted to talk and come meet us together. Would you just come and meet us together? And uh, Nehemiah sends a little message back to him and says, I know what you're trying to do. You're going to try and, you know, have a little meeting and see how we can do this together. And, you know, you're going to talk to me and. Nehemiah says in verse number uh, 3 of chapter number 6, he says, And I sent messengers unto them saying this, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? I want to tell you there's going to be a voice of compromise that says, Come on, just talk with me a little bit. Come on, let's change it a little bit. You don't have to believe everything you've always believed. You can let, let's meet together with the enemy, and the enemy says, "Come on, come on, let's change just a little bit." Let's, you know, you, I know the pastor preaches it, but you know, let's let's work together. Let's let's talk about it. I know he's challenging us to be faithful and to, to the call and to do live holy and live righteous and to be fervent in our walk with him. And I, I was all the things, but the enemy's going to come along and say, "I got a little voice for you." It's called compromise, and it's called a willingness to just say, "I can make it how I think and how I feel," and I've come to tell you that there are some things that don't belong there. There's no portion for a compromise. And Nehemiah said, I cannot come down from this great work. By the way, that great work wasn't really that easy. When you're doing a great work, it's kind of bland and boring sometimes. And somebody's going to say, it looks a little easier over here. It's a little bit more celebratory over here. You don't have to work it hard. And he said, but you don't understand. I'm doing a work and a great work. And it may not be that easy, but I'm not coming to make it easier with you. Hear me. He said, I know what it really is. You're a mischief to the work of God. And the, I'm not going to go there. The things that the enemy is trying to compromise on this last day are a mischief to the great work. And there's no inheritance in it. But Nehemiah says, you got no right here, voice of compromise. You got no portion here, and you got no memorial here. So I've come to tell you, get behind me, and I'm not coming down. Not doing it. The fourth voice was the voice of compassion. Oh, this was a tricky voice. It was a friend of Nehemiah. I believe it's in Nehemiah chapter 8. And this voice said, come hide yourself with me in the temple. Come. Because if you don't, you're going to die. Now this is the one voice that is kind of the last end of a man who's made up in his mind. And it's a voice that says, if you keep this up serving God and working for God and you give everything to God, it's going to kill you and destroy you. And the hurt and the pain that you're going through right now, you're standing in the place. You're somewhere saying, I'm standing here for my family and for revival. 
And every time you do that, you know you've been, they're all standing out there saying, we're going to get you, we're going to attack you. And that voice of compassion says, come on down, you don't have to stand there. It's going to kill you. It's driving you crazy anyways. It's, it's you know, you're, you're just doing this great work. And they just keep yelling and shouting. So the voice of compassion comes down. And Nehemiah was revealed to by the Holy Ghost. It was a lie anyways. That was a man that had made an agreement already with the enemy. And that voice that thought was his friend was actually a voice of the enemy trying to get him to come down from a great work. I come to tell you, it's not the last day to let, or it's not the day to let the voice of a false compassion say you can come down. You don't have to fight that hard. I want to tell you, don't be weary in well-doing. Don't give up. God's going to show up. He will give you strength every day you stand, every time you pray, every time you lift your voice, every time you say, I'm doing a good work, and that enemy attacks. I want to tell you, God's going to show up, and he's going to give you strength. So you tell that voice of false compassion, get behind me. Oh, Jesus. I had a good friend. We were sitting at dinner not too long ago. And uh, he said to me, I got something to tell you. I said, tell me. He just sat down and he said, my brother got the Holy Ghost yesterday. I said, sir, that excites me. That thrills me. His nephew and niece had been coming to church and they had gotten the Holy Ghost and the grandson and different things going on. I said, now wait a minute, stop a minute. Can I ask you a question? He said, okay. I said, how long have you been in church? He said, I've been in church, I think it was 25 years. He said, how long, that's how long it's been since his family. He came into church all by himself. He said, I came into church that long ago, and I said, that's what I wanted to hear. Because you've remained faithful, and God's doing a work. And he said, okay, let me answer that this way. He said, I came in a long time ago, and he said, I was pleading with God and begging God about the third year. He said, I can show you the place. I was saying, God, please save my family. Please save my family. And God looked at him. He said, with, with, he felt the Holy Ghost say, I want you to stop begging me to save your family. And I want you to start thanking me for saving your family. And he said, since that day, I have thanked God for saving my family. Because there are some portions that belong only to faith. Now, you can think of me what you want when I leave. And, and I know, I think Brother Jordan's probably on me with this. I, I don't believe that we can beg God or cry our wishes into existence. Now, I've wept some things. I have cried through some things, and I will cry through some things this more, some more. But I've lived long enough to know that I am going to have to put my faith in God. And I'm going to have to put one step in front of another and say, God, I'm like Abraham. I don't know where you're leading me, and I don't know how we'll get there. But there is a portion for my family. There's an inheritance for a revival. There's a belief. So I'm not going to let those voices in my life. And I'm going to step day by day because I do believe that without faith it is impossible to please God. But he that cometh to God and beginneth a good work must say I believe so get behind me. You don't belong here. I'm praying Monday. I'm believing Tuesday. I'm coming to church Wednesday. I'm believing God next Sunday. You'll find me doing a good work because there is a portion 
all the men in Numbers 14, which Moses sent to serve and, and to survey the land, who returned, made the congregation to murmur against God. And God said, that's it. I'm intolerable. Hear me. And ten men, Numbers 14, 37, and even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. Ten did not get the inheritance. Two did. That's not my word. That's his word. The portion only belongs to faith. Now, after the death of Moses, though, <laughs> the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is now dead. Therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, for there's a portion for you, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. And every place... Every place that the sole of your feet shall tread. I'm in Joshua 1 and 3. Every place that the sole of your feet shall tread upon. That have I given unto you. Ten died outside. And two. God said wherever you walk. There's a portion that belongs to faith. This is mine. Because of faith. Get behind me, devil. They, they had fought that fight a long time ago. You have no right here. You have no memorial here. You have no reason to be here. You can't walk here with me. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You have no right to be here. You got to get behind me, Satan. Voice of compromise, voice of complacency, voice of quitting, voice of unbelief. You have no right to be here. I'm, I'm smart enough to know that if it's for me, it's for you. I want to lift my hands and praise God. And doubt says, hands down. Compromise says, give up a little bit on the work. The real work. And I want to put my hands down. And the voice of false compassion says, you don't have to be the one to do this. And I'm reminded of Nehemiah saying, there are some things that belong only to faith. David came. Stand with me. Here we go. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. It's a walk of faith, folks. It's a walk of faith. I don't know what you're going to face this week, and I don't know what the long-term things you're facing are. And I'm facing things that I'm seeing God do right now that we've wanted to see do for 18 years or so, and they're not complete. In my own family, I've had talks with those of faith in my family that are older than me, 
and I've heard voices echoing through them who it means more to them than it does to me, some of the things we're fighting for in our family. And I've heard the voice of elders in my family say, when I say, how could it be? How could it come to pass? And I've held elder voices that are in their 70s say, because there's some things that will never come if I give up. And there's some things that will never come if I let these voices talk to me. So I'm adapting my walk with God because of that. And I'm saying with those voices, that's right. You don't belong here. Unbelief. I'm claiming victory. Tuesday. See, I, I got a lot of people who Sunday's God's day, but Tuesday's Sand Ballot's day. That's just me. That wasn't you. That's just me. Sand Ballot comes by on Tuesday and starts talking to me, and I start saying, you know, you got a good point there. And I want to hear the voice of God just declare through us tonight one more time so we can look at the enemy on Tuesday and say, you have no right here. You have no memorial here. There's not a single space in my salvation that belongs to you. And the miracle that my family needs and the walls that need to be rebuilt, you don't have a right to be here. And David said it this way in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30. Then David and his people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept. Verse number four is where I'm at. They had no more, until they had no more power to weep. Why? Because while they were doing a work, the enemy had come in and stole their families and everything. If somebody's got a reason to make an agreement with the enemy, then this David had a reason to make an agreement with the enemy. So he weeped until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captive. Verse 6, and David was greatly distressed for the people even spake of stoning him. And this is where the voice of false compassion came in and said, if you keep this up, David, they're going to kill you. It's going to kill you. Tell that voice, get behind me. And all the souls of the people were grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David said, there are some things that belong only to faith. So where there should be words of discouragement, they don't belong here. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. Unbelief, you don't belong here. Compassion, false compassion, you don't belong here. Compromise, you don't belong here. David said, there's some things that belong to faith. I'm not going to get my family back with a cry and a complaint. I'm not going to get my family back if I give up. So David said, in my own words, there's some things that only belong to faith. All right? So he asked in the next verse. He said, now that I've encouraged myself in the Lord, 
bring me hither the ephod. Oh, my. The place where you petition God. And you say, God, what is it? What is it that is your will? I want to tell you something. If you have made up in your mind that there are some things that don't belong there, you can inquire for the ephod, and you're going to hear, begin to hear God more than you've ever heard God speak into your life. He said, I want you to come, and I want you to bring the ephod. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? Shall I see my family come? And the Lord said, Pursue. Why? Because you encourage yourself. And there are some things that belong only Come on, there's a revival coming, but it belongs to faith. There's a miracle coming, but it belongs to faith. Come on, that's it. Go ahead. Come on, lift those voices. So David went after him. Come on, that's all right. The Holy Ghost just touching somebody right now. Go ahead. Go ahead, yeah. Thank God. Praise God. Lift up your voice. Somebody encourage yourself in the Lord. Somebody lift up your voice and thank you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I declare victory. 